Hey there, thanks for joining us for part two of our series, The Born Identity. Now, Francisco was a 22-year-old living in Lima, Peru during the 1990s. He was a Bible college student and he loved Jesus with everything. Anyone who spoke with Francisco would hear him say these words, I want to bring the senderistas to Christ. The senderistas were a terrorist organization that had been murdering so many people in and around Lima. And Francisco had watched as many of the people that he knew packed up everything and fled to other cities just to get away from this terror. But the cry of Francisco's heart was not to run. It was to find a way to change the hearts of a terrorist one by one. This was what his country needed the most. One day Francisco was walking downtown when a car drove by and launched a bomb at the National Palace. The car vanished into nowhere and when Peruvian police showed up at the scene, Francisco was at the wrong place at the wrong time. He was tossed into a maximum security prison. He was locked up on the fourth floor this of the prison. This is a floor that was dedicated exclusively for the senderistas. Francisco spent little time mourning and saw the opportunity God had given him to accomplish the desire of his heart. He began to quietly preach the gospel to those around him. One of the first people Francisco met was this young 24-year-old girl named Maria. Maria's job in the senderistas, she was given a pistol and she was to walk around and anyone who was wounded, she was to put a bullet into their head to guarantee their death. Through tears, Maria asked Francisco, is there any way that his God could possibly love her and could he forgive her? And Maria found that he did and he could. And she became a believer that day. It would take a year for Francisco to get his day in court. But during that year, Francisco led 60 people to become followers of Jesus. Today, because of Francisco, there is a church right inside that jail. See, we often hear about the benefits of following Jesus. But the truth is, following Jesus is tough. Following Jesus will cost you something. Deciding to follow Jesus is sort of a paradox. It's a life that is full of joy, and yet at the same time, it's difficult. John 10.10 says that Jesus came to give us life more abundantly. Psalm 16.11 says that God's presence is the fullness of joy. Psalm 84.10 says that one day in God's presence is greater than a thousand days anywhere else. There, these are the type of things, when we think of being a Christian, these are the things that we sign up for. When we choose to become a Christian, these are sort of the selling features. We want abundant joy. We want God's peace. We want his presence. But in Matthew 16, 24, Jesus says this, If you want to be, if you, any of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own, take up your cross, and follow me. You must take up your cross. The cross is, is such an interesting symbol for Christianity. For many of you, when you gaze upon the cross or you think about the cross, it's this symbol of hope. It's the symbol of everlasting life. Many people even wear a cross necklace or, or some people get a cross tattooed on their body. In fact, if I decided to remove the cross from our church, or if I took it out of the sanctuary, some, of, some people will wonder, is this even a church anymore? And I'm not. 
by the way. I'm not going to do that, so don't write me any, any emails. But in the ancient world, the cross did not bring feelings of hope. It brought angst. It brought terror. It, it, it represented fear and torture, oppression, excruciating death. And nobody had a cross tattooed on them. Nobody wore cross jewelry. To put it into perspective, imagine this. Imagine that a, a couple, you meet this new couple and they invite you over to their house for dinner. And as you go into their house, you, you're taking off your shoes and you look in the hallway and there's the picture right in their hallway of a firing squad. Oh, that's kind of, kind of weird. But you walk in and, and you sit down at the dining room table. And up over the table, right above their dining room table, is this picture of an electric chair. And then you notice that the hostess brings in food, and she, as she brings in the food, you see she's got some earrings that look like hangman nooses. In that moment, you're finding an excuse to dismiss yourself, to excuse yourself. If you have a spouse, you're giving them that look, that nudge, like, let's get out of here. And your kids are never going over to their house to play because these people are crazy. That's how people felt about the cross when Jesus was on earth. It, this, 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 this cross was the symbol of death. But Jesus transforms the symbol of death and turns it into a symbol of everlasting life. Because as we discussed last week, Christianity's core is not the teachings of Jesus, as amazing as they are. It's an event. That Jesus died on the cross as the perfect sacrifice for our sins and then was resurrected on the third day, defeating death and paving the way to everlasting life. That's the core. It's not just a part of Christianity that you can give or take. It's, it's, it's the central belief. If, when you're around a bunch of different people who call themselves Christians, there are going to be different things that separate us. There's different things in the way we interpret certain things. And that's the way, that's why we have different denominations. But different interpretations of areas of scripture don't disqualify you from being a Christian. But this is not the same. If Jesus didn't die on a cross and Jesus didn't come back to life, then Jesus is just another in a long line of good teachers. 1 Corinthians 15. 14 and 19, this is Paul speaking. Paul says, If Christ has not been raised, then all our teaching is useless, and your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless, and you are still guilty of all your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are to be more pitied than anyone in the world. And I know some people have, who have said this before. I've heard people say, you know, I, I follow, I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus, and, and you know what? If I get to the end of my life and, and Jesus isn't real, then I still lived a good life. It's all okay. But Paul would never say that. Not for Paul. He's all in. Paul, and you see in Paul's eye, Paul's eyes, Christ is more than just a good teacher. Because uh, if, if that's all he really is, then in Paul's eyes, he's no better than, than a self-help book. 
But Paul doesn't believe that at all. He, he would concur that Jesus will help you in this life, but the hope is in heaven. The hope is in eternal. His, his hope is in eternal life. And if that's not who Jesus is, well, as a follower of Christ, Paul says that we should be more pitied than anyone else in the world. It might mean that you risk a relationship. And once you follow Jesus, you begin to see the world a little bit differently. Some of the things that you thought were appealing that you don't understand, but all of a sudden they're not as appealing as they the, anymore. Your friends won't understand why you're not into the same things that you were into before. You, you may even need to limit access to certain people that tempt you back to your old life. When you start to discover that, that the positive influence you have on other people does not outweigh the negative influence they have on you, you may need to access, it may need to, to, to limit access to certain people. Following Jesus may actually affect your career. Because maybe you're, you're, you, to advance in your company, you've got to turn a blind eye on some unethical dealings. And, and you just can't seem to do that anymore. Or, or maybe a promotion depends on whether you're one of the guys. And that includes going to seedy places with scantily clad women. And, and you need to choose in that moment what you stand for. Maybe you risk your reputation. I was talking with some people the other day about reaching people for Jesus. And, and I think everyone, and when it comes to this church, everyone wants to see this church filled. And numerous times I've heard people say, well, how, how do we get more people here? But sometimes I think the question could be reworded. What, the, what people are really asking is, how do we get more people here without me risking my reputation? See, the question that needs to be asked is, and I can point this at me as well. But how many times in the last year, and let's forget about COVID for a moment. Let's, let's go back, okay, the last two years. How many times in the last two years have you invited someone to go to church with you and they said no? That you've been rejected? Because I don't think we are a bunch of rejected people. I, I think I think that we are people that are have have not asked the question, have not invited anyone. Listen, it's one thing to say with your lips that you care about the lost, but if all you do is pray for a better program, so then maybe people will come, or maybe we need a better pastor, then that, 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 that will bring people in. You don't actually care enough about the lost to risk your reputation. Following Jesus will cost you something. But what, will, what you will gain? Wow. And we're going to talk about that today and why he's worth it. And I realize up to this point, you're thinking, I, I thought this was going to be a Christmas message. I, I was expecting this, this is a nice little Christmas. Does, does he even know Christmas is like just right around the corner? Well, Mary and Joseph, see, it's a Christmas message. Mary and Joseph show us right from the beginning as the first followers of Jesus how tough it is. Matthew 1, 18, 25. This is picking up right after, after the genealogy that we read last week. It says this, Matthew, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. So for first century Jews, the custom of the day was that you would be legally married 
And then you would begin the engagement process for one year. It's like kind of the reverse of what we do. We do an engagement for a certain period of time, and then we get married. Well, they would be legally married, and then there would be an engagement process for one full year. And so basically, they would be legally in every way husband and wife, except they couldn't live together and they couldn't sleep together. And the reason for that would be was this. A young man's family would choose a bride for him. And they would pay a dowry to the bride's family. And that, that, that could be money, it could be land, it could be livestock. And so the groom's family wanted to make sure that the young lady that they had paid the dowry for was in fact a virgin. And by the end of one year of engagement, that was ample time to uncover any sort of hidden pregnancies. So during that engagement year, if you wanted out for any reason, you were legally married. So it would require a divorce. So during this engagement process, Mary shows up pregnant. And Joseph is gutted. It was painful. It was humiliating. I mean, he was wounded. He thought, here I was, I have my life partner I'm legally married to. All signs pointed to her being this God-honoring, honorable, decent young lady. And then he discovers She's not as pure as he thought. And for what it was worth, Joseph was was a good man, a man of honor. And so he decides that he's going to choose to divorce Mary quietly because the alternative was to expose her for, for what she had done. And then potentially, as Jewish law would state, she would need to be stoned for this unfaithfulness. And he didn't want to do that. Verse 20, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, Joseph, son of David. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. Do you ever wonder why God chose to do it this way? Because, I mean, when you look at it, doing it this way, Mary's reputation was tarnished. In fact, Joseph's was too. Mary would be looked at with disdain for years. In fact, we know that people didn't recognize Jesus as God's son. And when Jesus came on the scene at 30 years old and he starts, he starts performing signs, some people believed in that moment. Some people didn't believe until the resurrection and some never believed. And so it would be it would be Mary's reputation stained until she was into her middle ages. And by that point, people had been thinking about her one way for so long. For Joseph, his reputation for marrying someone of Mary's reputation would have destroyed him as well. By taking Mary, it was as if he was claiming that the baby was actually his. That that, that he had been involved in, in something dishonoring. It would defect his business dealings. He'd be labeled. And we, we know that when Jesus goes to the cross, Joseph is not around. 
it's most likely that Joseph has, has died at this point. And so the clearing of Joseph's name would never come. Following Jesus isn't easy. The pregnancy would ruin their reputations. Mary would never have the dream wedding that she'd always wanted. Her father wouldn't walk her down the aisle, and they would need to flee from their homeland. Not exactly the picture that Bride's Magazine would have laid out. Not exactly the abundant life that Jesus promised, at least not from the outside. Let's look at four things today that Joseph's life shows us on how to follow Jesus, how hard it is, and where his motivation came from. Number one, following Jesus required Joseph's absolute trust and obedience. See, Joseph put everything on the line. He put everything on the line that Mary was true, that, that what she said was, was totally true. She was carrying a baby that was put there by the Holy Spirit. Do you know how hard that is? you know how hard that is for, for a guy? I mean, if, you, if, you're, if you're a man today, and you think about back when you married your young bride. Can you imagine all of a sudden before the wedding day, you find out that she's pregnant and you know it wasn't you? And she's trying to tell you that it was the Holy Spirit that put it there. He would have to put on the line that what Mary said was true. Following Jesus will require trust and obedience. This week I was speaking to George Mello, who was here with us a couple weeks ago. About um, uh, He's one of our missionaries that we support. And him and his wife Jacinta are gone to Portugal to take on this tough mission of bringing Jesus to the islands, the Azores Islands just outside of Portugal. And... And, and he's, he's, got this, he's got this task of trying to bring Jesus to, a, to an island that just has not, it's been decades since there's been any sort of movement of the church in that, in that place. Well, you don't pack up everything and leave your home and leave everything behind because you love to travel. It's out of absolute obedience and trust to what God is calling you to. Following Jesus, I mean, really following Jesus is not just playing religious games. It means absolute trust in the unseen God. Number two, following Jesus required Joseph to accept a sentence of death. Mary's out-of-wedlock pregnancy literally put her at the risk of death. Mary and Joseph also watched the death of their name, the death of their home, and the death of their, their dreams. See, love always requires sacrifice, and God's love often requires it. There's a verse in Luke 14 that's very uncomfortable when you read it. Imagine like if you've never read through the Bible, and you pick up, and you start reading through Luke, and you start flipping through to find out what God's like, and you come across Luke 14, 26, and if you, even if you, especially if you're reading it through the King James Version, here's what you're going to hear. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now reading this at first glance, most would take that and be, I'm out. I mean, God, I've heard about your love, but you want me to hate the people that I love the most in my life? You want me to hate my brothers and my sisters and my spouse and my kids? My mom and dad, uh, no, I'm out. I, I, can't, I can't follow a God that asks of that. It's too much. But, but what Jesus is saying makes a little more sense when you compare it to other translations. Here, here's what it says. If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. 
your mother your, and father, your wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. What he's saying is your love for God should be so huge because that anything else seems like hate. It should be so big. That's how much, that's how much you care. God doesn't want you to hate your kids. He doesn't want you to hate your spouse. But God says, if I'm going to use you to reach this world, you're going to need to make some sacrifice and do some things that can only be motivated by this immense love. In fact, to become a, a disciple of Jesus will make you so much better of a parent, so much more of a loving spouse, so much more of a, a loving child or, or a friend or such a better uh, employee. But if you're devoted to following Jesus, it will require you to change your priorities and possibly leave some things behind. Again, you may be reading scripture or praying and all of a sudden God just puts something into your spirit that you can't shake. And it doesn't make sense to anyone else, but it's what you need to do in this moment. Following Jesus is tough. It means you need to be willing to lay down everything to follow him. This is the type of message that you don't preach to make people feel good, but these are the words of Jesus. These are, these are so important because Jesus, he offers you so much more than the world can offer. Number three, following Jesus required Joseph to practice self-denial. This will seem odd in a world where it's always whatever makes you happy or if as long as it's as permissible, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. And even that's blurred at times. But for Joseph, he entered into a marriage where he knew that he would not consummate the marriage in the first year. That, that, that's, that was established Jewish practice. But after hearing about Mary's pregnancy, verse 25 tells us that Joseph chooses to wait another period of time, close to a year, until Jesus is brought into the world. We live in this culture that doesn't promote the gift of abstinence until marriage. It's, it's like a rite of passage. Our society makes young people feel like they're a failure if they're still a virgin into their 20s. Joseph is married. Both he and Mary show incredible self-restraint, and they're married. It's possible that God knows something more on the subject, and that when you show self-restraint until God's timing, the reward is unmatched. If you're not willing to deny yourself some things that society says is normal, you will never be a committed follower of Jesus. Well, because we say things like this all the time, well, what, but everybody's doing that. Everyone listens to this type of music. Everyone, everyone watches this TV show or saw that movie. And I, I feel like if I haven't seen it, they're talking about it and I feel like I'm left out. One of the most popular shows of the past decade was Game of Thrones. It seems like everyone has watched it. It's just, it's everywhere. There's so many cultural references around it wherever you go. And, and, and you can feel like if you didn't watch it that you're left out. That you're missing something. I didn't watch a minute. Of it. And I'll tell you why. Because if you go into the parent's guide on any site that reviews the show, it will tell you that there are so many gratuitous sex scenes that it, they're too explicit even to get an R rating. It's okay to feel left out. It's okay not to do what everyone else does because being a disciple actually requires it. Number four, following Jesus inconvenienced Joseph. And he was okay with it. See, Jesus' birth complicated Joseph's life. It forced him to leave behind family, friends, start over in a new place. Serving Jesus is rarely convenient. 
There are many people that in this church that make this church run. Not because it's convenient, but because it's important. Because they believe in what they're doing. They believe in what God is doing in this community. There's a chance that if you're not involved in any sort of ministry, it's because you've rationalized in your head that it's not convenient, that you're too busy. But if you're only going to do the things that are convenient, it means you actually don't know the definition of sacrifice. Love always requires sacrifice. Serving Jesus is rarely convenient. Witnessing about Jesus is also rarely convenient. Uh, A few years ago, we went on a family vacation, and we went to New York. And probably to this day, one of the best family vacations we've been. And I remember it was at a time where I was just like, oh, I just need to get away. I just need to, 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 be, to be with my family and, and just do some things. And I remember we're walking through Times Square. And, and it, like I said, I need a, a break. But there's so many things in Times Square that there's so many people trying to grab your attention. And there's people handing out literature. There's people handing out their demo CD. And, you know, they're, they're promoting all kinds of things. And I remember somebody was... Ha- handing me some literature and I don't know how we struck up a conversation but in this short exchange he asked me what I did for a living and I I remember saying oh I'm a pastor he said you're a pastor I have some questions about the Bible and there was a part of me was like I'm on vacation I mean that's what I do for a living. I look ahead and my family is just up ahead and we've got this whole day planned out. We're on this tight schedule and they're looking at me like, come on, Dad. And I remember I turned to him and I said, I'm sorry. I just don't have time right now. I think about that all the time. It was inconvenient, absolutely. But sharing Jesus is rarely convenient. I blew it. You, you rarely are going to have someone walk right up to you and say, will you tell me about your faith? That doesn't mean that you force it on someone, but it's rarely convenient. Uh, positioning this church to, to reach the next generation, for some of the older folks in our congregation, it hasn't been convenient. i got to give them so much credit that they've embraced some of the changes and, and they, they've grumbled very, very little. I don't know if I've even heard it. And, I pray that that for our older generation, I pray that you never attend a church because it's comfortable or convenient. That goes for everyone. I hope your faith is always a little bit inconvenient. Those are the four things in Joseph's life that show us how to follow Jesus. One last question. What would have happened if Joseph had not chosen this route? What what would happen if if Joseph had chosen something more convenient? something easier. If he'd chosen the easy route, if he'd not believed the angel, if he had divorced Mary and cast her aside, if he'd married a, a different gr- girl, guess what? He might have got that storybook wedding. He, he, may, he may have carved out a little carpentry business. He, he had this very comfortable little life. And may, he may have even called it, this was his, the life of his dreams. But you know what he would have missed out on? He would have missed out on so much. He would have missed out on Jesus. He would have missed out on the life that God had designed for him. Guess what happens when you choose the easy life? Guess what happens when you choose not to forgive, even though what that person did to you is so tough? What happens when you choose not to sacrifice? You miss out on Jesus and you miss out on his plan for your life. And on top of all that, 
You have no idea what hangs in the balance. You have no idea what your decision to go all in on your faith, to sacrifice, to die to self, to allow yourself to be inconvenienced for the name of Jesus. You have no idea the ripple effect that has on someone else's eternity. For Mary and Joseph, their decision has echoed for more than 2,000 years. Joseph's life tells you it's worth it. God keeps his promises. Jesus is worth the pain and the shame and the shattered dreams, even if death comes. This child that we will celebrate in a few days did not come to make your life more comfortable or more convenient. He came to bring you eternal life. He came to partner with you in changing the world. It will require sacrifice. It will require selflessness. It will require you to give up some things to see it happen. Could you imagine anything better? Let's pray. Lord, this Christmas season feels a little different. And it feels like in the midst of this, we are sacrificing some things. We're sacrificing maybe the family get-togethers that we don't normally have, and we're sacrificing our normal Christmas, whatever that looks like for each of us. But Lord, when it comes down to the root of Christmas as a whole, you sent your son, Jesus, to be born into this world to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. To come and lead us into a life where we love people, impact people, sacrifice selflessly, and change the world. And so, God, I pray that you, your blessing on each family this year, this Christmas season, and I pray that we would consider how we can give up anything that's holding us, uh, holding, putting a barrier between us and you. And God, I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.